Shout out on Sermon Podcast to Trey and Melanie Field, their daughter Jane for baptism. We rejoice with you guys. So excited to be a church family coming around you guys with great joy and excited. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, we'll get there in a moment and you know the drill. We'll put it up on the screens in just a second as well. I want to begin this morning with the way that I want to end the message and that is with a word, okay? It's a word that's in so many ways considered a bad word. It's uh, in some ways sort of a, a crippling word, a nasty word. It's akin to a cuss word to some of us. Here's the word. It's the word test. You don't like that word, do you? If you're in school or have bad memories from school, maybe you just recently failed a test or you're about to tomorrow. <laughs> you just don't like the word. Test. Now here's what I know. You know it as well. All of us go through life and we are tested. Parents test their kids for growth and maturity. Of course, students test, or teachers rather, test their students uh, academically. We have a thing uh, in our country called dating. And if you don't know it, you need to dial into this. Dating is a test to see if uh, that person is your person. And we have tests along the way. And here's what maybe some of us aren't aware of, that the word test is a pretty important word in the Bible. In fact, it's often used in this context, God desiring to test us to see what's in us, to see if we trust him. There was one of Jesus' many, many miracles. It occurred on the Galilean hillside. And Jesus, a lot of you know this, was about to multiply loaves and fishes. He was about to feed 5,000 plus people. And just like God, there would be leftovers. And Jesus looks at the disciples that are around him. A crowd is with them. But he looks at his disciples and one in particular, a man named Philip. And he says to him, as they scan the horizon, he says, where shall we go to buy bread to feed all these people. You know, I believe if you walk with God, if His Spirit is in you, there will be this shared relationship where Christ with you will look at what's next in your life, uh, will look out there and say, hey, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get over this? What are we going to do about this? Because there's a need we have. There's a need you have. What what are you going to do? And that's where Jesus aligns himself with Philip and says, where do we go to buy bread? You know, the answer wasn't McDade's or Kroger or somewhere. It was a different world. And John 6, 6 puts it this way. We're going to get to Luke 6 in a minute. But John 6, 6, he asked this, Jesus to Philip, he asked this only to what? Only to, there's our word, only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Jesus did it big. Can I just say, Jesus does it big? And there was a sumptuous supply. There was an ample amount of God's grace in the lives of these people. People were fed, as we said, there were leftovers. And I use my sanctified imagination. I can't help but think that Jesus looked at Philip with one of those looks. You know how like when you know somebody, if you live with them, travel with them, work with them, hang out with them, uh, you you just know sometimes you don't have to say anything. We definitely have this going on after 23, almost 24 years of marriage. You can just look and you know what the look means. And I use my imagination thinking Jesus looked at Philip with that look of like, You didn't think I could do it, did you? You see, at the heart of what we're going to talk about this morning is can we trust Him? 
Here's our passage, our paradox. It's found in Luke 6, 38. Some of you know this. There's a command and there's a promise. And the promise, we really get fuzzy about it because it's so misused and manipulated. So stay with me. I want to get past your defenses this morning. I want you to be open to what God might have for you. Because here's what I know. I know you. You say, Robert, you don't know me. I know you. You're going to leave here. And ultimately, you're going to do what you want to do. I can't make you do anything, right? You agree with like, Look at me. Just nod if you believe. I can't make you do anything. But I ask that you would be open to what God might say through this um, weak vessel today. Command and promise. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you okay jesus really all righty then you really want to make that promise because your disciples are going to hear it it's going to be broadcast it's going to be written down it's going to be translated into more languages and dialects than anything it's going to be people are going to look to this and they're going to they're going to look back and say can we trust jesus in this promise and let me ask you can we does anybody believe this morning that we can. Now, when it comes to advice that the Bible gives, you can't find a more accurate, reliable, freeing source. People of faith would even have to agree. There's people, women and men like Dave Ramsey, who write books and broadcast and make a bunch of money and have a, a cult following because they take wisdom from the Bible on economics. You, you, you know this, right? So when the Bible says, we have no problem trusting God when the Bible talks about debt. What does the scripture say? It says several things about this. Most famously, it says that the borrower is servant to the lender. Can I get an amen? If you've ever filed for bankruptcy, if you've ever wanted to call the bank and negotiate your surrender... If you have a drawer at home that I call the drawer of shame with credit card statements and unpaid bills with balances piling up that you really can't address in a meaningful way, you know that the Bible is true, that the borrower is servant to the lender. And that, by the way, is one of the hardiest amens we've received at Fondren in a long time. But what Scripture says about debt is true. Amen. But you know what the scripture says about savings is true. It tells us to go to the little ant, not Aunt Mildred or Martha that you know, but go to the ant, the actual ant that Pixar, Disney made a movie about years ago because ants are so strong and ants work hard and ants have teamwork and ants, ants send little chemicals to get the army to work together. They can lift a hundred times their weight, all that stuff. But Proverbs 6, we're told, you and I are told to go to the ant. And oh, by the way, if you're young in the room, I don't have the numbers right now. I could. I've done it before. But if you're young and you start saving $10 when you're a kid and $100 when you're in high school and more than that, then you can start hitting, stroking like $100 a week when you're an adult and savings. And then you get a pension plan from your company. Maybe a little bit of government kick in. Don't count on it. Social Security. You get a little bit of that. You're, listen, you're retiring young and you're a millionaire. Just by going to the ant, doing what the Bible says, go into the ant and putting a little bit away because in Proverbs 6 it says go to the ant and do what the ant does because the ant in summer stores things away for the winter. 
And a lot of us know, oh, we haven't done that. We're not ready for retirement and we're never going to retire. I have to work till I'm 90 and no, 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 no. But we, but we know and we agree that the Bible gives sound economic uh, principles for you and I to live by. And it's beautiful and reliable and freeing. But here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus and says this thing about giving. And he says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Something about God flooding your lap with, with goodness that God's going to give back to you. And then we all of a sudden, we get separated between the people who agree with that and believe in that and desire to practice that and those who don't. Jesus, can you be trusted? I shared a few things this morning with the 930. I'm going to try to do the same with you now. I... Um, I accepted Jesus. I received Christ as my Savior when I was a young person. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I, I became a, a child of God. And when I did, I remember thinking, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to know your word and I want to hide it in my heart and I want to follow you and I want to show others that, that you are true. And I was reading John, had memorized large portions of it. And John 10, 10, I came that you might have life, an abundant life. I wanted to have an abundant life in Jesus. John 7, uh, Jesus said, the rivers of living water will flow out of you. I wanted not to be a barren desert or a pond. I wanted to be a river where life flows through me to other people. I wanted, like we talked about last week in John 15, I wanted to be a branch that would abide in the vine and draw nourishment and, and prosper as God would want to prosper me. I wanted this kind of life and I received him when I was a, a, a young lad. One day, not long after that, I, I came home from school. My sister had been at school, my one and only sister. I had been at school. My dad was at work. My mom was at work. We all come home about the same time. We discovered that we'd been broken into. And to use the words forced entry, that was an understatement. These guys had not only used forced entry, they had broken windows. Most of our windows had knocked down doors, had almost destroyed our house. Uh, they stole valuables. We, we didn't have much, but they took the things that were of, of worth to us. And they were malicious. They took sodas and syrup stuff out of the refrigerator. They knocked the refrigerator over and they poured the syrup and soda over things. They wrote things. And I don't know if you've ever been violated in some way like this. Your body, your home, your auto, you've ever been stolen from. It, it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? And I remember feeling... Uh, the pain and the trauma we later learned weeks later my dad was at the detective's office and at the station and he asked how did you find these guys they found them and they linked them to a murder of which they would later be convicted and imprisoned um, for murdering a, it was a double homicide they also informed us weeks after this that they had been on our property when one of us was at home I can't tell you what that did this to us and particularly my mom, the emotional trauma that she felt for so long. This same mom, stay with me, this same mom who months later would wake me up one morning early when it was still dark and she would kneel down at my bed. The same posture, same place you would kneel if you were praying. I don't know if some of you pray bedside, but that was my mom. I woke up, I had been in deep slumber, a young man and she she told me that Lynn Lynn was my best friend that he was killed last night 
He had just moved to Hattiesburg, and I'd spent every day with Lynn. We ran together, this crew, and he had been killed in Hattiesburg the night before. That was my first taste of death. When I was in college, I dated a girl for three and a half years. Now, Susan and I are secure in our relationship, so I can say this, but uh, she was gorgeous, this girl. I mean, and that shouldn't surprise you. You know, you're sizing me up. You would obviously... You would, you would get that. But she was gorgeous and she was godly. And we dated for three and a half years. And then we broke up. And it was a dozen years before the movie Titanic and the song by Celine Dion. But I wondered at the end of college if my heart would go on. <laughs> and for years and years, I was single. And for years and years, I've done, I was doing what a lot of you do. And I was renting the tux and going to the wedding and spending lots of money. And, uh, you know, always there for my friends. But God, what about me? And I felt the ache of loneliness, which doesn't end when you get married, by the way. But I felt that. And God was so good to me. If you know this woman, if you know my Susan, you know she is a gift from God, isn't she? What a blessing. Ow, ow, yeah. (laughs) They clapped at the 9.30. You got one ow, ow at the 11. (laughs) But she's a blessing. She's getting on a plane tomorrow to fly all the way across the country to be with a friend who needs her. And that's who God gave me in my spouse. New God has given our church. He's good to provide. A year after we married, we suspected that we could be pregnant. We mean she. And we were. She was. And our firstborn was born in South Florida. But months after that, he had gotten sick and gotten sick. And it was a mystery. The doctor from New York, there's a lot of them in South Florida. New Yorkers are plain spoken. He told us, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be leukemia. And when he said that L word, I just kind of zoned out. You see, we had had friends who had just lost a child to leukemia. When we went home and stood in the kitchen, men, are you with me? This ever happened to you? Your wife looks at you and you're thinking she needs me to be strong. But you can't really be strong. And I remember the days of waiting and praying and sometimes crying and hoping for the best. And you know God provided and God can be trusted. And God in this regard was very good to us. That little boy became a man. He's six foot one, about 200 pounds. He's still got that cute little dimple. And he's a junior in college and very expensive. (laughs) God is good and he has been good. To us, you, you may say, Robert, I, you, you dropped Luke 6.38 and it's a passage about money. You, you, hey, RG, get, come on back. Come on back. Get, on, get back on subject and preach the text. You see, I hadn't left it. Because at the heart of Luke 6.38 is this idea, can God be trusted? And what I want to say to you, and by the way, there's been stuff in my life recently. Four years ago, we lost her dad. He was a really important figure in our lives. In the very same summer, I experienced a betrayal of a best friend. I experienced some folks saying things about me that weren't true, that were flat-out lies. And that stuff hurts. But I tell you today, through the loss of things, the fear of uncertainty... 
through the pain that I've experienced, which is small in comparison to what some of you have gone through. I tell you today that God can be trusted. So many of us are willing, listen to me, young adults, there's a gathering on Thursday night. I won't be there. Dr. Jimmy Stewart will. He's better than me. But show up Thursday night, but listen to me, young adults in particular. We are so willing to trust God with our vocation, with our mate, with our future, with you know, our family, with our eternal destiny. But we are unwilling to trust God in this area of our lives. The God who provides is the God of resupply. In 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a story about a woman who had a fairly normal life. She got married and they had a young child, but then life became very unnormal. Suddenly, she lost her husband. Suddenly, she was a widow. My heart goes out to single parents. We have, as a church have tried to be intentional many times over in helping single parents. Imagine, though, being a single mom back then. And here's what had happened. She had lost her husband suddenly. There was a drought, severe drought in the land. Food prices had skyrocketed. The crops were virtually non-existent. She's got no church or synagogue that she attends. Her extended family, well, she doesn't have one. She's alone and she's frightened. And into this... I think you need to know this about God. Into this, she crosses paths with a prophet of God named Elijah. Not Elisha, you'll be tested later, but Elijah. And this prophet of God comes to her and put yourself in this single mom's sandals. He asks her for food and drink. 1 Kings 17, 13 to 14. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. (laughs) Okay, go home and do as you have said, two really important words, but first, God doesn't want leftovers. God desires first fruits, but first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Are you kidding me? God would say that to her, do something for somebody else and then... Do something for yourself and your small child. Are you kidding me? And here's what she discovered. It's what I saw recently when a man and I from our church went to a single mom's house with a meal and the gift cards. What we saw is a family where every meal is a miracle. And that's what this woman found. But the jar of flour and the jug of oil was replenished. The God of resupply. God can be trusted. Now I admit, I told the 930 this. I admit this passage in Luke 638, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I admit that there's great mystery in this giving and receiving. I admit that. In fact, there's a lot that I don't know about it. And you may be thinking, man, I drove. I got up on Sunday morning, drove to church, going to listen to a talking head who had just admitted he doesn't know much about the text. And that's right. But here's what I want to say to you. 
I'm disappointed. I wrestle with God a little bit when I look at our world and see American Christianity in particular. And I see Christian broadcasters and Christian ministers who use this verse to manipulate people, to prey on fears, and who essentially have a message, your giving to God is a way of receiving prosperity from Him. And I never want it to be twisted into that because that is not the heart of God. In fact, Susan and I, when we've wrestled with difficult financial times, even recently, we have said we don't want to stop here and we want to give because it honors God and advances His cause. And oh, by the way, I need integrity when I preach, right? Everybody wants somebody to practice what they preach? I don't want to manipulate it. I want to give because it's a reflection. By the way, you know, when we worship, when you think of worship, what do you think of? Talk to me real quick. When you think of worship, when you come to church, this church, another church, don't go to another church. When you come to church, (laughs) what do you think of when you think of worship? Songs, right? Sermon, baptism, communion. You know, you think of these elements. You know, when you look at the Bible, a huge part of worship it was never a, it wasn't an addendum, it wasn't an extra thing, it wasn't a sidebar. It was all the altar. It was giving of gifts. It was giving of, it was worshiping through finances of giving to God, giving back to God. That ought to be a heart behind it. But I stand in front of you today as I did the earlier service and tell you I have seen this to be true in Luke 6. Now at the fear of misconstruing it, stay with me for a moment. Eight years ago, Susan and I stepped out on faith because we believed God was calling us with a team of people, a small team of people, to begin Fondren Church. I had preached my last sermon at this mega church, and there was a lot of love. We got cards and letters. Do you remember this, sweetie? We went home and we laid in bed all night just reading the cards and letters, and we were crying, and we were so full. Our hearts were full. It was one of those, we knew it in the moment. It's just one of those rare moments in life where we felt so full. Just a few days later, I got a call from that church. It was from the human resource director. Y'all know these type of people, right? God loves them. I think he created them. But anyway, they, he called me in and I went into his office and these were, all of a sudden, this family felt like an employer and he told me how many days of pay we had left and when the last payment would be and we would be on our own. I had to turn in my key and get stuff out of my office and all that love just got drained out. It just felt so cold. And I can be kind of mercurial up and down. Anybody feel me? Anybody like me? Let's, let's meet afterwards and talk and pray for each other. But I can be up and down, and I got down. And I remember thinking, man, I got these kids, and I already told you how expensive they are, and we had plans for them, and they had plans, and they, they, like, they want three square meals a day. Isn't that crazy? And I was like, God, we got we to gotta see you provide. So we met at Brent's. I had a few guys with me. It, wasn't, it was sort of a dictatorship, but not in those early days. But I had a couple of guys who advised me. They were wise men and good friends. And, and I said, well, we don't have any money. What are we going to do next? We've got to get some money. And they go, ah. We got a little bit. Oh, we got some money. And from that day to this day, I don't look at that. Uh, I, you don't want me to. I don't touch it. I don't see it. I give to it. I have a lot to say about how it's spent, but I don't touch it. And I want your giving to be always an act of worship. The guys told me, hey, we got 32000 in the bank. I'm like, 32000 yeah. Anybody know that doesn't go far? (laughs) 
but don't, you, you couldn't tell me that that morning at Branson. I'm like, yes, and that, one of them informed me. He, t- he didn't tell me who. I f- figured it out later. But a friend had dropped in 30K. Isn't that great? And so I was like, okay, we got a little start here. We had our first ever worship service in dueling. We passed the plate. Nick, Kristen, you were there. Remember this? We didn't know what we were doing. I don't even think I preached a sermon. Uh, I cast vision. It wasn't good vision. But we passed a plate. And I learned later, the guys called me, the guys who look at the numbers, they called me and they said, hey, RG, are you sitting down? I said, I'm in bed. And they said, we had over 100,000 given tonight. And somebody had given, by the way, if you don't know, we don't have, ever have 100,000 come in like now. <laughs> just so you know, like just, it was really good. But somebody had dropped 75K in the offering plate that night. And can I tell you, we were off to the races. Those same two guys I referenced earlier, we were back at Brent's. A few months later, we were only a church of about four or five months old. And we looked at this passage in 2 Corinthians 9. Look at it for a second. Remember this. Why did he say remember this? Because they're going to forget. Sometimes the questions I ask are easy. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Here you go again, God given a promise. And if it's not true in my life or yours, then I'm walking away. I'm leaving the faith. I'm losing my faith. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, there's a reason God blesses us. And here it is, verse 11b or 11a. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And in that day, we said as a church, we don't know if we're going to be big. Probably not because I'm preaching. We don't know if we're going to have a permanent home. We don't know what God's going to do, but we want to be a loving church and we want to be a generous church. A few of y'all remember that. And you know what we did? We were a church plant, brand new. We were like, "Mm, little baby. Mm, Little baby. A lot of messes. Some of y'all were here and you were messy. I've been your pastor for eight years, some of y'all. You need to be grateful for me. Listen, we decided that day to give a church in Florida, a brand new church plant, we decided to give them $10,000. It really wasn't $10,000 we had, but we said, let's sow generously. Remember this, Josh? Let's sow generously so that we can reap generously. And let's get it in the DNA of our church that we as a church will give till it hurts. A week after we wrote that check to give that gift to the church plant in Florida, I was at Nukes right over here having dinner. I was preparing the sermon the next day, and a couple saw me and came up, and they weren't a part of Fondren Church, but they were wishing us well. In fact, literally, they wished us well. And as we were talking, the man seemed a little disinterested. That's common when people are talking to me. And he, uh, he just walked away from the conversation, also common. And he went to his car, I'm kidding, but he went to his car, I'm not kidding about this part, he went to his car, he got his checkbook, he came back, and as I was talking to his wife, he started writing the check. And he folded it and handed it to me, and I did, look, let's get real, I did what y'all would do. You don't open the check until they leave, right? In fact, I waited till he drove off. I was looking in the window, all right, Meadowbrook, they just turned right, okay, they're gone. And I looked around to make sure no one else that went to Fawner Church could see me looking needy opening this check like a desperate man and I opened the check does anybody want to guess the amount ten thousand dollars and you say RJ RG you're just making that stuff up I have a son named RJ RG you're just making that stuff that's just luck okay that's what you want to believe you go with that theory 
I believe something else. A week later, one week after that, I went back to that nukes. I had dinner and prepared my sermon. I didn't see him. But I've seen God provide. A few months later, we were in a meeting and we learned that Fondren's largest employer, y'all know Fondren's largest employer? St. Dominic's. St. Dominic's had something called the Phoenix Initiative. I know I see some young men who are part of the Phoenix group. Uh, It's a different uh, group that raises money for Boys and Girls Club. This was called the Phoenix Initiative. And uh, St. Dominic's was leading the way for every dollar that you donated, they would double it to help rebuild some homes in West Fondren. Homes that were, uh, had bad roofs, no air conditioning. Could you imagine that today? Trouble with plumbing and just tough stuff. And we decided that we would give $30,000 to the Phoenix Initiative. And I was so excited when we called those Catholic nuns to tell them. Because they would have to fork over their 30. And that would be 60K to help families right here. And you know the next few weeks, the offering, we had 30,000 plus come in over and beyond that. Ah, RG, it's just luck. All right, you go with that. But I'm going with God. When we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. But when we sow generously, we reap generously. Take a look, if you would, at the screen at a couple who uh, is learning this very lesson of giving. Shelton Bounds. And I'm Mandy Bounds. Tithing wasn't something that we did uh, much at all, if any, uh, right when we got married, before we got married, um, and even well into our marriage. We weren't even members of the church yet. It was just a really good sermon about tithing versus offerings, and I'd never known the difference. And so I remember picking up um, the offering envelope in the pew in front of me and jotting down some notes of what Robert said. And so uh, we just felt convicted about it, like we really weren't giving anything at that point. And so it's just something that we've tried to put um, first ever since then. I think that was one thing I never thought about was that um, 10% was, was a mathematical number that came from the Bible. And we said, we're just going to do it. After hearing that sermon, we became very intentional about um, just multiplying every paycheck by point one. And over time that became not just a habit, but something that was like, it, it was just embedded in us. And now it's something that we desire even more because it's become such a part of our lives. And we really feel like we've been blessed, um, not just monetarily by giving, but um, you know, times have been tough and the bills roll in, but the tithe keeps rolling out and we keep making it. About this time last year in June of 2018, I started having these weird episodes that the doctor at first thought might be migraines. And then um, after a few trips to the neurologist, she determined that they were seizures. And 
and um, it's been a long road of figuring out how to um, how to control the seizures and to stop having them on a regular basis. And so we ended up leaving Jackson and going to UAB in Birmingham to get more comprehensive care and all of that. And so there's been a ton of medical bills that have come in over the past year from hospital stays and MRIs and PET scans. And it's been a lot, but you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about pausing your tithing. It doesn't say just to tithe in the good times. I mean, that's just what we're called to do. And so we have, we've been faithful in that. And you know, the Bible doesn't say if you tithe, you're gonna get financial blessings. But it does say that we will be blessed. And we have because my seizures are under control and there is a medicine that's helping. Um, and I do feel that we have been blessed in other ways. We're not perfect people, and, and we're definitely not perfect tithers, but um, you know, it, it's a really nice feeling knowing uh, how transparent Fondren is, Fondren Church, with where the money goes, and knowing that we're a small part of that, and um, you know, seeing um, the tithes separated into certain projects that we've been a part of or been able to help with, especially uh, our small group as a whole, um, has just been you know, fundamental in, in gathering around us and walking mm -hmm. through this season. And um, it's been really cool having some conversations about um, how tithing has really helped us grow closer um, mm -hmm. as a couple and, and to the church. And, and we're just glad to hear that um, it, it's having an impact, even if it's small. Thing I love about Shelton is uh, he's got that dog tattooed on his arm right there. Isn't that great? Actually, it was the dog before that dog that he lost, but I love dog guys. You know, most people don't give. Most followers of Jesus don't give. You throw a little something in, it's sporadic. It's not sacrificial giving. It's not systematic giving. It's just a little something. It's leftovers if you have enough. That's how most people give. And can I say something today? Hear me. That doesn't make me mad. That makes me sad because so many people live with crippling confidence in a God who is so able. Not long ago, we decided to not shrink back in our giving and to potentially give more, not just here, but elsewhere. First here, but elsewhere. We, we believe in bringing the tithe to the storehouse. By the way, Jesus had an opportunity in Matthew 23, 23 to go, eh, that tithe thing, Old Testament, Grace, give what you want. By the way, grace gives more. Always. But Jesus said, that tithe, you keep giving that tithe, but do it this way. Do it with this right heart. Care for the poor and the justice in this world. We decided to give, to continue giving and to give more. And do you know we were greeted with some unexpected expenses that hurt One of which was car expenses. We took our daughter Haley's Jeep Cherokee in to be serviced and it needed a new transmission. That wasn't good in our marriage. I kind of blame Susan. I don't know. I, like she went out there at night and started tearing up the transmission. <laughs> the bill was $2,900. You know what we paid? Zero. He said, this one's on me. 
Anybody hate me? You're, you're about to. He texts us. He doesn't come to church here, but he's cheering for Fondren Church. And he sent us both a text and he said, I love what God is doing through Fondren Church. My hearts are with y'all and I don't want y'all to ever have to pay for an auto repair expense again. Now you hate me. <laughs> Some of y'all are going to be pulling up at my house. You have the slightest little tick under the hood, right? You're going to be... Look, God is good and he provides. He does. And when you give... He will give. It might be the gift of contentment. It might be the gift of endurance. By the way, Deuteronomy 8.4 says their shoes didn't wear out. They're walking through the desert. Sometimes it ain't, it, it doesn't, God doesn't make it rain on you. But he'll, he'll let something, he'll let your shoes last longer. And God does provide. I ask Nick for some numbers because Nick loves numbers. Nick is different than me. In 2018, last year, was our best year to date in giving. 48.5% of our giving has come from only 5% of our givers. Can you say top heavy? 80% of our income is from 40% who are systematic givers. Systematic defined by Nick uh, as someone who gives like he and Kristen do by automated bank transfer every month. He can, you can lock it in, but also like Susan and I, who drop a check in once a month, every month. Somewhere between 22 and 32% of our people give systematically. Oh, if we were willing to trust him in this area. Just as I ask Nick for numbers, I ask Van for a story. Van is our missions pastor, serving locally and globally, leading our deacons, working with some of you guys, with strategic, dedicated, deserving partners here and around the world, where we're fighting human trafficking in Southeast Asia and in our own backyard, where we're joining the fight for fatherlessness in Mexico and right here in Jackson, where we are investing in the next generation of leaders and when we are sending missionaries to places in the world. A week ago when I was at church preaching Sermon 3 in this Paradox series, Van had $12,000 driving in a rented automobile with 118 pairs of shoes and 200 pairs of socks heading to one of our partners, Matamoros Children's Home in Mexico. And when he got to the border, it was probably going to cost him, could cost him hundreds of dollars extra to cross the Mexican Border Patrol agent heard Van's very loud boys. I love them. They're cute and they're loud. That was Emily, his wife, who laughed there. But <laughs> Asher, in particular, it's your fault. Asher, in particular, made a joyful noise. And this Mexican border guard, with windows down, heard and saw this kid talking about helping other kids. And he said, y'all go right on through. And with that $12,000, he met our partner, who are sharing the gospel. Some of us are unaware of this, but they're in Mexico, in high in mountains. There are villages that have never really heard the gospel. And this guy, uh, as well as leading a children's home presently, there's 125 children who need a safe place, who need education, who need a future. We're helping provide that. Do you know this home shapes people in spiritual formation for the gospel? And that 35 different kids have gone on to be pastors or missionaries from this children's home. Like, it's a really cool place. 
And that, that $12,000 was used, is gonna be used, the money, if you invest here, anybody gives here, that $12,000 is gonna be used to build a tower. Uh, I think we're also gonna need a tower for our air condition here, but to build a tower to send the gospel by radio through this partnership in these places that are hard to reach. There's some people that are traveling hours to come to church to hear the word preached. Imagine it going to their place as we send it by signal and by people. As we close, one minute, take a look again. 2011, um, the video, 2011 was with the year that Fondren Church started, and that was the year that this Super Bowl commercial debuted, one of my favorite ever. commercials at Fonner Church. It's a way to make money. It ain't just in little boys. I see a couple in the room, little guys. But it's true of every one of us. We want to be great, don't we? And we want, in fact, by the way, Jesus, he tapped right into that. You want to be great? Some of you are like, you shouldn't say that in church. That's not Christianity. Jesus knows that we want to be great. And he says, you want to be great? You serve. You give. And behind it, look, the only way we're going to extend our reach and make an impact and see power flow through us is having a Father behind us who is able. It is a test to see. As our team comes up, would you bow with me? Father, we've gone a little long, but we give you these last few moments. We're so willing to trust you in areas but so many not willing to trust you in this area. And God, I pray that you would light a flame in us. In fact, those who don't seem to have much who would wrestle and argue with you, God, you show us time and time again that you want even us to give first fruits to trust you off the top. And there could be even some where Luke 12, 48 is true. That to whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, you want to move some of us into greater levels of generosity beyond the training wheels of the tithe into the Tour de France of generosity where we would give sacrificially where we would be the first to go to our accountant or to our checkbook to give a strategic gift to a kingdom initiative of bringing the gospel to the world and God I thank you that 20% 
that comes in goes out. To this date, over $2.2 million have been given through this church. We are your messengers. We are the deliverers. We are the couriers of what you have entrusted to us. In Jesus we pray, amen. One of my leaders said to me after the 9.30, goes, RG, preach it. Don't shrink back. Go a little long. Sorry, I went a little long today. Would you stand? And uh, let's give God these few minutes before we go. And you do business with him today. If we can pray for you, it could be financial. It could be on point with this message. It could be something unrelated that God's stirring up some other area where he's testing you and asking you if you can trust him. You come today, kneel at this altar, or take me or one of us, and we'll pray for you.